Hey, Bankless Nation. Happy Friday to you. It is the first week of August. David, it's roll-up time. This is the EIP 1559 edition, 1,559, 1559. However you say it, it is the day that we have deployed EIP 1559. Actually, we, we will have deployed it one day after you guys are listening to this. David, that's pretty exciting, dude. I'm, I'm pumped. There is so much to talk about, and so I'm going to try and refrain from talking about it right now. But <laughs> it is has been a long time coming, and the fact that EIP-1559 is here and we have things to talk about, that it's actually live, is just absolutely stellar, and I'm really stoked to get into the weekly roll-up this week. Okay, yeah, do not drink a swig of coffee every time you hear EIP-1559, or you will be coffee drunk by the end of this episode. <laughs> but before we get into the show, we got to talk about Pool Together, because it is summertime, and it's all time to get into the pool. If you don't know Pool Together, it is a no-loss lottery, which means you put your stable coins, your comp tokens, whatever tokens that Pool Together accepts, into a pool, and then you have a chance to win the accrued interest that accrues weekly from everyone's collective funds. Uh, so you don't lose your principal. You might lose your opportunity cost of money, but you also might win everyone else's interest as well. It's a fun, no loss lottery on Ethereum. Every single week, uh, roughly 50 to $60,000 gets awarded in USDC. And that is just the USDC pool. There is usually a drawing every single day of the week. They have also recently deployed their Polygon implementation where you can deposit uh, TUSD Tether into the Polygon pool together, uh, pool together pool. And they are also rolling out their L2s coming soon in the future. So check them out. There's a link in the show notes so you can have fun in the pool. That's a lot of pool time, guys. This is if, if you haven't yet tried many DeFi apps, this is one to try and tell your friends super easy to use and you can't lose. Can't lose. It's, a, it's a lot of you can't lose. So check that out, guys. All right, David, you ready to get into Bitcoin markets, my friend? Yeah, let's do it. Bitcoin is down on the week, starting at the high prices of roughly $42,000, touched the low price of just below $38,000 to where we are currently at right now at $39,300 for one Bitcoin. All right, let's talk about ETH price. ETH price doing a little bit of the opposite. Started at right around $2,500 on the week, and that was roughly about the low, uh, and it is currently at the high price of roughly $2,800. Feels like it's pumping on the news of EIP-1559 finally going live, which is always kind of funny to me because there's no way you've been able to pay attention to Ethereum without understanding EIP-1559. We talk about it all the time and now it's live and now people are buying. It's like yeah, it's weird. Just like, yeah, why did you wait so long? Like people, <laughs> people who just bought EIP, bought ETH after EIP-1559, like why? Right. Why do they wait? Do you, do you think there's some like worry that maybe it wouldn't ship? Maybe the hard fork wouldn't go right? Is I have, I have no clue, man. But uh, I mean, I know I wasn't waiting. So we, <laughs> we we knew this was coming, guys. We also know the merge is coming on the horizon, too. So that'll be another catalyst in the future. Uh, we'll get to a bit more of that later. But let's review some more metrics. So ETH Bitcoin ratio, how's the ETH ratio doing? Yeah, listeners will remember last week that I, we talked about how there was a descending wedge, if you want to use, again, trader terminology, which I'm not very good at using trader terminology, but I'm going to do it anyways. There was a descending wedge that Ether looked like it broke out of versus Bitcoin, and turns out that that continuation just happened 
even further this week. Ether is above 0.07 ETH per BTC at the price of 0.0712. Uh, looking really, really strong. And there's a lot of traders that I know, a lot of people that are looking at the ETH BTC ratio looking like, oh man, it just looks like it's going to resume going higher versus Bitcoin back to the highs of maybe 0.1 ETH BTC, just speculation here, but uh, ETH BTC looking really strong as you would expect during EIP 1559 week. Yeah, also not surprising given these ETH head, uh, tailwinds, right? Mm -hmm. These ETH catalysts. Uh, let's talk about total value locked in DeFi. That is also up on the week. I remember hanging in mm -hmm. the 50 to 60 billion range. Now we're at 70 billion. Yeah, uh, that is the theme of markets this week, at least on, on the Ethereum side of things, is up. It's really nice to see that seven number leading uh, e a, a total locked value back in DeFi. I remember, I think the, the peak that we set back in May was just around 90 billion locked in DeFi. We are back up to 70 billion locked in DeFi. All right, let's take a look at the DPI. So this is the DeFi Pulse Index. This tracks some of the top uh, DeFi tokens in crypto to give you a sense of that. We are up on the week as well, David. 18% on the week, 18% green for DPI at the price of $362, which is the local high for the week. So congratulations to DPI holders. Okay. Well, it seems to be ETH season over Bitcoin season. That's what that ratio is telling us. But is it DeFi season, David? What are we looking at? Oh, we're are we below your amount? We're, we're below your number. Yeah, I mean, no, below your number, horseshoes, dude. hand grenades. Like, we're around my number. <laughs> we are currently at 0.128 ETH, uh, ETH DPI ratio, uh, which means that it is ETH season, not necessarily DeFi season. I'm okay with that. Give DeFi a breather for a bit. Okay, let's talk about the BED index. So the BED index, of course, composes all of these assets together. You get one-third Bitcoin, one-third ETH, one-third DPI, all in one token that you have to hold. That is up on the week because all three of those assets are up on the week. Where are we right now? Uh, we are up 10% on the week. Started uh, DPI, uh, excuse me, BED started at $113 and we are currently at $130. So that is the summary of the crypto markets at large, up 10% on the week. Again, the BED index, the best DeFi crypto index that there ever will be, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Tell your friends, guys. Tell easiest way to get exposure to crypto, at least the premium assets, at least the assets you want to be part of on the bankless journey. Uh, David, Let's talk, man. EIP. What do you want to talk about, Ryan? <laughs> I look. Is there, do we have morning. something to talk about? <laughs> I know you flew all the way to San Diego mm -hmm. last night, but you mm -hmm. woke up early in the morning mm -hmm. to be available for this. It was like what five o'clock your time? Yeah, four, woke up at woke, woke up at four thirty because Eric Connor and Anthony Cesano was like, "Why isn't the Zoom up yet?" I'm like, "Guys, it's yeah. an hour before the fork." I, <laughs> I guess they were really excited to get the get the oh, live stream up and running. Yeah, kids uh -huh. in front of the Christmas tree, just like waiting for Santa to come down the chimney. <laughs> I mean, they were really excited about this. But we're excited too. Mm -hmm. So uh, EIP fifteen five nine got deployed today as part of the London hard fork for Ethereum. This is a massive event. There are a slew of other feature updates in that, but EIP fifteen five nine was the one we've all been waiting for. That means a number of things, but one thing it definitely means is we are burning ETH. Effective eight thirty or mm -hmm. so at Eastern time this morning, we have started burning ETH, and we will continue to burn ETH until maybe the end of the Ethereum network. Like this is going to uh, last into the the future upgrades and it's mm. going to be, it has become a core part of the protocol. And David, there are so many like dashboards 
where you can see ETH getting burnt in real time that I've become addicted to these things. Mm. So like, here's one, etherchain.org slash burn. You can see, look, man, eight, almost 800 ETH burnt. We are only like four and a half hours into this. 800 four and ETH in four and a half hours. Burnt, gone. And remind folks, why is ETH getting burnt? And people are asking the question, sure. like, uh, totally. that seems weird. Why are you burning ETH? Are you like wasting it? Like, why is this a good thing? Why are you so excited about burning money? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so here is like a kind of a 400 level uh, bankless content take is that if you listen to our uh, podcast with Vitalik Buterin on legitimacy, the same reason why Bitcoin has a shelling point of zero issuance and a hard cap is the same reason why we burn ETH. It is just the best default option because if we didn't burn ETH, then we would have to figure out where we should send it to. Who gets it? Who gets it? And that is a very heavy political decision that bestows a kingmaker. Like that's a kingmaker decision. Like who gets the ETH? And so instead of just like deciding who should get all of this ETH, which is a ton of money or like $3 billion or $3 million every like four hours or so, it's just easiest to say that no one gets it. And if or everyone gets it. Or everyone gets it, right? Because if no it. one gets it, then everyone gets it, right? And everyone, I mean like ETH holders, which is one of the benefits of holding ETH. So EIP-1559 changes the way that we allocate ETH when you pay for a transaction. You used to pay for a transaction and that money used to go to miners. And now instead, because we have decided that EIP-1559 is a stronger security mechanism and an overall UX upgrade for Ethereum, We've decided that the best thing that we should do is we should burn that ETH and not give it to anyone. Uh, and if you want to dive deeper into the subject, definitely listen to our podcast with Hazu, EIP-1559. Uh, and that will go into further depth as to why we burn ETH. Uh, and uh, when you, Ryan, you and I talked about this like multiple years ago, we really just framed it in a conversation of the last puzzle piece, the last really important component of, eth of Ethereum's monetary policy. It makes Ethereum more secure. It makes Ether more valuable. It's just overall a net beneficial change. And now it's finally live. In the time that I have been ranting, we have burned nine more ETH. The, the ticker just went up from <laughs> 799 to 808. That's now it's lot. at 810. That is a lot. We burned $5,000 in the time that listeners listen to this. Right, and dude, remind me, we got to check it again at the end of this episode. <laughs> because, or maybe continuously throughout the episode. Right. I don't know. We will update people every five minutes. Like there's so many places you can you can look at this burn rate. Uh, th this is probably my favorite, David, ultrasound.money. Yeah. Go check this out. Like fantastic meme around this. Ultrasound Money not only has uh, the ETH cumulative ETH burn rate, but also has a burn leaderboard. Right. So we see like uh, some of these NFT platforms are burning the most ETH. Right. OpenSea, How crazy is that? Yeah. Uh, NFTs burning more ETH than DeFi. Not not cumulatively, but just as OpenSea is burning more ETH than Uniswap. Like, cool. I'm less mad about cool. high gas fees from NFT yeah. launches now. I'm a lot <laughs> less mad about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I might be okay with it. You can also see it on, of course, your favorite block explorer like Etherscan, for example. And this is cool because you can dig into the actual block, David. Mm -hmm. You're pulling it up here and you can see the block reward, of course, that is issuance. But then you see the amount of ETH burnt on this block, which is super cool. Nice breakdown for you. And there's um, so many new metrics in the Block Explorer now. And this is uh, kind of front running what I'm going to say later in the episode with what I'm excited about. But there's new things to look at, which means more things to talk about, which makes me so metrics. excited. <laughs> 
more numbers, more metrics. More, it's of course it's open and available to anyone. I think Micah put together a fantastic dashboard on Dune Analytics where you can see ETH burnt uh, per block, base fees over time. All of this is open and available. So check that out. They'll be in the show notes. And this is cool too, David. We just we had this morning our first deflationary Ethereum block. You might say our first ultrasound ultrasound block. Uh, Ethereum block because. While we issue just over two ETH or so every block, according to the protocol. Exactly two ETH. Exactly two ETH. That generally goes to miners. Um, we burnt more than we issued mm. in this particular block. So like the amount burnt per block will fluctuate uh, based on kind of the, you know, the formula and algorithm that's set up in EIP-1559. In this particular block, I'm not going to say the number, 12 million something. You guys can look it up yourselves. But there was a ETH burnt of 2.078 and an ETH block reward, of course, of two. So the net is actually deflationary in that block. Now, that's not to say um, Ethereum as a whole is deflationary right now right. Uh, because it's not. It's, it seems like we're issuing, like we're probably burning, what would you say, 25 or 30 percent? of proof of work issuance. I say that's this, about a good estimation. Uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of like settling that needs to happen. Like we are still kind of in this uh, period of a little bit of uh, chaos because like miners still have to update, like wallets still need to update. Hasn't there's, shaken out yet. Yeah, we're, so we are still settling. We are watching this play out in real time. And that's going to be one of the fun things about the next week is seeing where things settle, seeing how full blocks become, seeing miners get on board, seeing wallets get on board. Because uh, something to talk about is that there's actually two transaction types now. There's the legacy transaction types, and then there's EIP-1559 transaction types. Both types burn ETH, but one is just a little bit better for the user, one of the, one's a little bit easier. And so it's really up to wallets to update uh, how they uh, allow transactions to occur on Ethereum, and they should update to the EIP-1559 over time because that's beneficial to the users. Uh, MetaMask is now updated, MyCrypto is now updated. So people are doing this pretty quickly, but it's going to take at least a few days for everyone to get on board and synced up with EIP-1559. Yeah, absolutely. And so so the net of that is uh, Ethereum is not net deflationary at this moment, but it is uh, more deflationary. So we are burning a, you know, maybe 25%, 30%. As David said, this will take a while to pan out. But post-merge, it's sure looking like things are going to right. be deflationary when that happens. That merge we're referring to is when proof of work gets fully turned off, that 4% or so issuance per year goes to zero. That's going to happen. A fly just buzzed my head, David. <laughs> um, anyway, you were talking about uh, wallets. Mm -hmm. So for the typical user, right, this is all backwards compatible. So if you're using MetaMask and it has not updated, then you can just send a transaction the way you always no have. Change. No change. Yep, no change. It might be a bit more expensive relative to using the new transaction that David was mentioning. But once MetaMask rolls out, they've got a fantastic EIP 1559 helper page to show you um, how to set transaction priority. It's actually, I think it's gonna be more intuitive right. and easier to use if you're, if you're doing that second um, transaction type, the EIP 1559 transaction. Have you made a transaction yet on Ethereum, Ryan? I haven't. Oh, God. I mean, it's, I like it, it's, it's like this pseudo like speed update. It actually feels faster just because really? like, your transaction gets included into the next block by almost by, by default. So like it, it, it's not faster, but it feels like it is, which is kind of actually the more important part. Yeah, that's awesome. And like gas fees aren't going down as right. a result, right? Like this is not a improvement in probably in terms of gas fees. There's some intricacies there that... Mm. We don't have time to touch. Again, right listen to the Hazu EIP 1559 <laughs> yeah. episode with Bankless. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
but uh, you noticed this, David. Mm -hmm. EIP, and well, you can actually see it twice. You can see it on the lower right-hand side of the screen as well. EIP 1559 is straight up trending on Twitter. Again, like, think about that for a second. That's an hot, Ethereum improvement proposal to this random esoteric little known piece of like internet corner, which is going to be larger in the future, is trending on Twitter. EIP 1559 is on the front page of the internet. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's really cool. And such a, yeah, strange esoteric name. Like, yeah. people are like what is EIP 1559? But that's the question they should be asking right now. Uh, David, let's get this take from Hayden Adams. Yeah, it's Hayden tweets out, it has been two hours since the launch of EIP 1559. And he tweeted this out a few hours ago. Uh, and he says, Uniswap, both V2 and V3, is doing its part burning 80 ETH so far. Again, these numbers are already outdated. Uh, at this rate, Uniswap alone is burning 350,000 ETH, close to $1 billion worth per year. And then he says, congratulations to everyone who made EIP 1559 happen. Huge win for Ethereum. And great, great tweet, great piece of content. But also what I want listeners to take, uh, take note of is this is just Uniswap. Just Uniswap is burning 350,000 Ether per year. Rem uh, just a reminder, there's roughly around 115,000 or 115 million Ether total. And just Uniswap is burning a little bit over one third of a million Ether per year. That's just Uniswap. And so like, imagine when there's just more applications. Imagine all the other applications. Imagine the applications into the future. Imagine the killer apps that we haven't even thought about yet. Uh, imagine when like completely trustless, like composable oracles comes online and we can get any data from the world onto Ethereum. Think about that because imagine how much ether we will be burning at that point in time. It will be a large number. I'm thinking about it. You know what? And this is a, <laughs> absolutely a massive upgrade to Ethereum's monetary policy. And it's kind mm -hmm. of the conclusion of, of a lot of work that a lot of people have been like put in at the time. I, I just want to give a, a special bankless shout out and thank you to all of the developers in the Ethereum community, coordinators, uh, you know, even even some of the people who are sharing the gospel and, and, and spreading the, the news of this and garnering community support, this community uh, are, the, are the, the people who made this happen. And it's like hard to get work done in a way in a decentralized community, but it's also better, easier in some other ways. And the fact that the Ethereum community pulled this off is, uh, is pretty phenomenal, pretty exciting. I mean, this is a live network, right? like a $250 billion network. And um, this is a pretty major economic upgrade right. to it. And it took like years of, literally years of research to, to come to this point and uh, a ton of work went in. So thanks to the community, thanks to the devs that made this possible. Thanks to the researchers. We did it. We did it, fam. We did it, fam. It, the Ethereum upgrade, EIP-1559 upgrade, it feels like we are having this $250 billion jet that we upgraded the engines on while in flight. Uh, and so like that's kind of the degree of complication and that's also the degree of the skills of the developers that we have in this community. So just like Ryan said, thank you for everyone who played a part in getting this out the door. The world is literally better for it. I will make that argument. Yeah, that's super cool. As by the time when the time we started talking about this, let's see uh, how much ETH we burnt. 55 more ETH, ether since the last time we brought <laughs> it up in, in conversation. Oh, let's just keep on doing that every few minutes. There you go, there you go. <laughs> All right, guys, moving on from EIP 1559, which is hard to do. So we're very excited about it. We'll be let's back. Let's do this. <laughs> we'll be back. 221 million crypto users. All right. That's how many crypto users we have. This is according to a, a study put, uh, uh, 
put out by crypto.com kind of charts crypto users uh, over time, the market size. Of course, this, these are all estimates. No one can tell for sure. I'm not sure the exact um, you know, methodology they used for this, but it, it feels ballpark. It feels about right. And uh, that's an absolutely massive amount of crypto users. Now we say users, that's super broad. We're talking about anybody who has ever purchased right. a crypto asset. This is not DeFi users. These are not people who even necessarily know what they bought, but these are people who have interacted with, maybe purchased right. a crypto asset, possibly done something more. It's not just a fad, 221 million. Right. That is starting to become critical mass. This is moving from like early adopters uh, like the, the very early stage adopters to kind of this, this, you know, um, mid-stage adopters, yeah. mid adopters range. Yeah. 22, uh, 221 million is not a low number. This, like you said, this has got to be like the lowest threshold for what is considered a crypto user. Right. So if you like bought $20 worth of Bitcoin on Coinbase and then you, and then you left it and didn't do anything, you're a crypto user. I'm guessing I, I would like to know more methodology about how Crypto, uh, crypto.com came about these numbers. Um, maybe maybe on the website they have more details. The other important point to make out is that this is in June 2021. And in January 2021, just six months ago, it was 106 million users. So we have more than doubled the entire, like, entire user base of this entire industry in just six months. Uh, and so that kind of illustrates kind of how crypto moves in waves. Like it moves in, it moves in step functions. Like like nothing will happen for two years. And then all of a sudden it's an order of magnitude better, more order of magnitude, more users. And Ryan, 221 million users. That's a, a lot of people that can go and make transactions on Ethereum and burn ETH with the IP1559. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, let's talk about OpenSea. Speaking of more burning of ETH, OpenSea, which is one of the top uh, in the ETH burn charts right now, mm -hmm. Um, they they did, this is a tweet from uh, Devin Finster, who's been on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. In 2020, OpenSea did about 21 million in total transaction volume. That's the total for the year. In the last two days, he's tweeting this August 1st, we did 95 million. Two days, 95 million. It, in an entire year in 2020, they only did 21 million. The growth curve for NFTs is insane. Yeah, it is insane. Absolutely yeah. going bonkers. And OpenSea is crushing it. Yeah, no wonder OpenSea had that monster raise not too long ago. NFTs are definitely hot. Uh, turns out the bear market was, uh, this is what I wrote in the Market Monday this week. Turns out the NFT bear market was just a meme and it turns out it was an NFT land grab opportunity for the people that believed in it. And then the market realized it all like all in the last like two days that Devin was talking about. Sadly, those two days where uh, OpenSea had such insane amount of volume was before EIP 1559, so we didn't burn that ETH. But... <laughs> All future volume going through OpenSea will indeed burn more ETH. Look at this. This is worth a, a quick gander to. Ethereum addresses using DeFi rose 65% last quarter. So more ETH addresses going bankless using DeFi up into Burning the Burning ETH. <laughs> Wait, oh, is that not what you're going to say? <laughs> oh, okay. No, no. <laughs> All right, guys, we will be back with some more Burning ETH talk. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. 
Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Hey guys, we are back with the releases. Dave, there's so much to talk about. We still have some EIP 1559 to cover, but we want to get to regulatory. So we're going to burn through some of these releases and get to the, the regulatory section, get to the news. Uh, the first is this, Starkware and SoRare are teaming up. They are releasing the SoRare uh, uh, scalability solution on Starkware. So SoRare is another NFT project for uh, soccer, football in Europe. And it's been doing super well. It's good to see them deploying on layer two with Starkware as their scalability tech. Uh, layer two summer continues and so does NFT summer. So awesome. Let's keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Brand new Ethereum application now on mainnet Thales, a binary options trading platform has deployed. It's got a seed investment from Synthetics, so communities seeding other communities. So that's pretty cool. There's a lot to talk about there, but unfortunately we don't have the time. Uh, if you're interested in binary options trading, go to Thales, T-H-A-L-E-S dot market and see what it's like. Uh, I have not tried this out yet. So if you are a binary options trader, ping us on Twitter and let us know what you think. Guys, speaking of the synthetics world, the derivatives world, uh, DYDX just dropped their token this week. So this is a governance token for DYDX. David, we've written tactics about DYDX a number of times, most recently when they deployed their layer two technology. I think that was like April or May or so. And the good news is they're doing a retrospective airdrop. So if you have ever used DYDX, you might be eligible. We actually put out what we call an alpha alert uh, to Bankless Premium subscribers on the newsletter with all of the details of this retroactive airdrop, what it includes. You can also find some of this information on the DYDX website. Uh, again, you're eligible if you paid fees, DYDX, um, and then you have to use layer two. It looks like they are also receiving some bumps in adoption post-governance uh, post token launch. So this, again, is a story of 
kind of the, the previous DeFi summer when the comp token launched and comp usage went off the charts. This is now also happening with DYDX. So go check that out. You might be eligible for that retrospective airdrop. There's also, um, there's also future ways to earn DYDX token if you are a liquidity provider and some other things. So make sure to check that out. Here's a quick bankless self-shill. We told you this was going to happen like six <laughs> months ago. So shout out to the guys in the bankless discord who uh, said that they started using DYDX when we when we guessed that DYDX was going to list an airdrop and they got the airdrop because of that. So sometimes listening to the bankless weekly rollup gives you alpha. David, one sad part for residents of the U.S. is that uh, residents of the U.S. are not eligible for this retrospective airdrop. So this is uh, Jake Travinsky saying, I feel so safe and protected in response to Anthony Sassano saying, the U.S. investors are missing out on this airdrop because of stupid regulations. David, uh, this doesn't feel great that um, the SEC is protecting U.S. investors from free money. I mean, I'm they're definitely here to, to prevent scams and uh, to help make sure that markets are transparent. This does not feel like those, either of those two objectives. Uh, that, that's that's exactly right. U.S. investors are people just like the rest of the world. Um, I was a previous user of DYDX before they implemented the, uh, the IP ban. Uh, and so I did not get my DYDX tokens, which I feel like I should have gotten because like I said, I'm a <laughs> user. Um, but I'm glad other people were able to get the tokens. Uh, DYDX, unfortunately, but also fortunately for them, did a very good meticulous job of tracking IP addresses and linking that to Ethereum addresses. Uh, and so if your Ethereum address was associated with the USIP address, so you did not get the airdrop, and you can thank the SEC for that one. There you go. In other news, Bitwise has just launched two new DeFi uh, funds, one for Uniswap, one for Aave. So investors who are accredited investors, because of course, Bitwise is kind of this bridge from old finance to DeFi. They can invest in these assets without having MetaMask, without taking self-custody, sort of an easy way to do this through kind of brokerage accounts and traditional finance. Great to see Bitwise investing further and expanding further in the DeFi space and giving more exposure to traditional investors there. Yeah, basically this is just a wrapper around Aave and Uni tokens, making them available to accredited investors in the TradFi world. Uh, it's progress, I guess, um, but again, limited and hampered by regulation. So uh, we're gonna have to, we're, we're gonna be talking about regulation here in a second, Ryan, soon. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we got some access to grind here. Okay, Argent though, this is great news. Argent, one of our favorite smart contract wallets, they are now going to layer two. This has been probably the biggest feature, this UX problem with, with Argent wallets, smart contracts, wallets in general is high gas prices. Well, no longer. Right now they have a layer two wait list. Uh, you can enter that. They've got prizes, almost 300K in crypto sweepstakes to celebrate. So it's not out yet but you can enter that waitlist, and I can't wait to see what they have in store. I'm pretty excited about this one. Yeah, also definitely go listen to Vitalik's smart contract wallets on layer two. That was a fantastic episode about why specifically layer two is very good for enabling smart contract wallets. I was a heavy user of Argent wallet when back in the early days, but as soon as gas fees on Ethereum stopped being one guay, and for the Ethereum like newcomers, like it used to be one Guay, which is kind of insane now. Uh, so Argent worked pretty well. Like gas fees were basically nothing and you didn't have to wait too long, but now gas fees with Argent are really expensive and the transactions take a really long time. This is something that really needs layer two to work. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what Argent on layer two is like. I'm gonna keep us moving, David. Uh, Rocket Pool is going to Testnet, which is super exciting. A new decentralized 
staking protocol, Rocket Pool, going to testnet on August 2nd. I hope they can keep shipping. There are a lot of, I think, staking organizations that have come up and deployed solutions ahead of them. We've been super excited about Rocket Pool because of their, their focus on decentralization. It's good to see them progress to testnet. Um, David, you want to talk about this? This is a uh, new ETH modeler, maybe like mm -hmm. a risk modeler of some sort. What is this? Yeah, this is a, an ETH supply simulator, a little bit like uh, ultrasound.money, but uh, just a few more things to tinker with, a nice little graph. And so you can uh, change the validator, how many validators there are. You can change when uh, the proof of stake activation comes. You can change the gas fee. And then it will model out the future supply of ETH for you. So don't let anyone tell you that you can't predict the future supply of ETH. Uh, it is uh, capable of being done uh, and you can also see how low that number goes, which is where I get excited. <laughs> yeah, you can model this based on your own assumptions, whatever those are. Also cool, David, in continuation of Layer 2 Summer, uh, Diversify, which is a decentralized exchange, is now bridging directly to Polygon, which is super cool to see. Remember, Ethereum is a economic nexus. We have the main chain, we got layer twos, we got side chains. All those things are going to interconnect with each other in different ways. And so this is one of those many bridges that just got built. You can now go straight from Polygon to Diversify without even touching Ethereum. Uh, and so no longer can you say that gas prices are an issue because you can just go to the L2 and stay there. Absolutely. Guys, uh, David, let's get to raises. So this just in Masari, which is a crypto media company, crypto analysis company, just launched, just released information about their 21 million Series A funding, which is cool in and of itself. What's also cool is that another billionaire has joined the ranks, is investing in that Series A, uh, Steve Cohen. So you might know him from 0.72, a large kind of crypto capital, or sorry, a large traditional capital firm. Um, in July, there was news released that Point72 is hunting for a crypto chief after saying it would be remiss to ignore digital assets. So it's there; it's a link there too. Again, this is the story of, of traditional finance uh, billionaires starting to get into crypto and deploy capital there, not just in the assets themselves, but in some of the infrastructure companies, in this case, in Masari. So it's kind of cool to see. Another DeFi protocol, Sense Finance, announced their raise of $5.2 million. They're saying to add a new dimension to DeFi. So this is essentially creating fixed income types of markets. So similar to Element Finance, if you're familiar with that, um, Sense has a kind of a different take on it, but also building out that uh, fixed income primitive. It's super exciting to see. David, uh, you want to talk about Crystal. This is a DeFi platform that raised $6.1 What are they up to? Yeah, this is Crystal out of Kyber. So Kyber moving out of just being the uh, liquidity provider to Ethereum to also being a kind of a DeFi dashboard. We've seen a, a bunch of emergences of new DeFi dashboards out on the scene, especially as DeFi becomes more rich and more complex. Uh, so uh, Crystal is going to be a new place to interact with all of DeFi. Uh, we've been joking about, and Jim Bianco really gets credit for this joke, is like, people are looking for like, all right, I downloaded Coinbase, where's the DeFi? Uh, and there's actually more and more like people out there working to provide the DeFi for people. And this is uh, the, the new product out of Kyber called Crystal. And let's see where it goes. People want their DeFi button. Where's the DeFi button? <laughs> <laughs> we say it every time, but if you are looking for a job in crypto, the way to check that out is through the Bankless Jobs Board. We've got a lot of fantastic jobs featured there. Senior Product Manager at Immutable Gaming Crypto Gaming Company, Full Stack Engineer at Pallet, a Senior Solidity Engineer at Quant Finance, Chief Investment Officer at Yield App, a Software Engineer at Arbitrum, 
a designer at Pool Together. Of course, Bankless is still looking for its editors. So there's tons of opportunities to plug in during this uh, season. This, I guess, crab season, bull market season is still on, but, but crypto firms are hiring like crazy. That, crab market that with big bullhorns, big bullhorns <laughs> on that crab. All right, David, you ready to get to the news? Yeah, let's do it. All right, man, let's start with this. Um, this is the a, a blog post entitled The Road to Trustless ETH Staking. We've been doing a lot of deep dives on ETH staking recently. We had that ETH staking panel. One of the uh, panelists was from Lido, and this is a blog post from Lido. They uh, are, are kind of moving really quickly in, in uh, the ETH staking industry. And they just rolled out this post about becoming more trustless. David, what's the TLDR of what they're attempting to do here? Yeah, basically, basically the TLDR is that there is a few low-hanging fruit things to be become completely trustless as a staking as a service provider, and, and maybe just to back up as a, as context, is there there are two main significant um, staking as a service providers that aren't just like a centralized exchange. One of them is Lido, which we're talking about now. The other one is Rocket Pool, which we talked about earlier. Rocket Pool has always had the ethos of being maximally and completely decentralized without compromise from day one. Lido has made some sort of compromises to trustless staking uh, by starting with a DAO multi-sig model. This is the same critiques that you know a Polygon has been getting for being secured by a multi-sig rather than being a protocol. But the, uh, the, the ethos behind Lido is that, well, if we wait to become a completely decentralized protocol, the, uh, the, stake, the centralized uh, exchanges like Coinbase and Kraken might gain too much of a lead. And that is kind of a threat in of itself. And so in order to get out the door quickly, Lido started as a DAO with permission validators. And now this blog post talks about the way that they are going to further their trustlessness further their decentralization and turn into something closer to what their ethos behind Rocket Pool is. And so they talk about the problems that they have ahead, how they're going to tackle them and what the various uh, routes towards the trustless future that they want out of Lido. It's really awesome to see uh, Lido have that commitment, have that ethos. And so that makes me excited. Uh, there's also some pretty cool cryptographic Ethereum stuff. Uh, shared secret validators is something that I am paying attention to, which has a mention here in the post. So if you are interested in seeing how a DAO can turn into a protocol, shared secret validators is one of the uh, points here. And if you are into that world, definitely check out this blog post. It's uh, a very just educational one to read. We definitely have to make sure ETH staking remains decentralized, remains trustless. So this is an initiative we will continue to support at Bankless. Uh, David, interesting news. Z Zoku, who is kind Zuko. of the lead, Zuko. Zuko, sorry, who is the lead founder of uh, Zcash, um, asked this question on Twitter. This is a governance question: Should Zcash switch from proof of work to proof of stake? It's kind of interesting here, right? Even that this question is being posed, I have to ask myself: Does this mean proof of stake has won? is winning mm -hmm. like when a long-standing proof of work uh chain you know raises this question you have to ask yourself why right totally and zuko the zcash community and the ethereum community have always been really really close you and i have uh, critiqued zcash in the past about like does privacy need its own L1? And to some degree I think this is actually an illustration of that because proof of stake is just like just a leaner consensus algorithm, which is just like making the whole thing just leaner and smaller and more condensed, which kind of goes to show that like, no, you are just trying to optimize for zero knowledge proofs, which should be an app on Ethereum. That's really a different story. Uh, I take your point that 
a long-standing proof-of-work blockchain, and it just started with proof-of-work because that's what Zcash had to work with at the time, is now saying like, hey, proof-of-stake might work better for us. And there is definitely a stronger, a very strong argument to link proof-of-stake with cryptography. Cryptography is easier with proof-of-stake. Um, I'm not technical enough to explain how. I just, this is my gut take. I mean, but that was like, there's a huge efficiency gain, and that might be it. Like, I know um, Zcash spends a whole lot of money in, in terms of block, block rewards, rewards yep, in huge. order to fund the security of, of, of itself, Zcash. And so if you transition to proof of stake, you, can, you, you don't have to spend as much, maybe like one-tenth the amount. It's kind of the estimates with uh, that Justin Drake gives for a switch from proof of work to proof of stake. So we'll see how that goes. David, let's talk NFT stuff because that's a big story this week as well. CryptoPunks are just pumping. CryptoPunks price rise 53% in the week after Ethereum Wales feeding frenzy. That is the title. Half of the top 10 CryptoPunks have been sold over the past two days. This happened last week. What is going on in the CryptoPunk world? Yeah, th this is what I wrote about again in the Market Monday. There was, uh, people thought it was the NFT bear market, but the convicted knew that it was an NFT like land grab opportunity. And so there was a bunch of people that were bullish on NFTs that were buying up the cheap NFTs as people left the NFT like mania from, from earlier. Uh, and then enough people realized what was going on, that NFTs weren't actually bearish and they were quite bullish. And then all of a sudden the market kind of all realized it at once and people descended upon first CryptoPunks, which were kind of like the, you know, the Bitcoin of NFTs, the OG NFTs, uh, and uh, that's the CryptoPunks uh, got bought up first. So, uh, the first event that happened was that uh, Gary V paid $2.7 million for a knitted cap ape. Uh, and, and then he tweeted out uh, some, something like, here we go or something. And then, and then people connected it and that kind of uh, kicked off the frenzy. I was part of that frenzy. I got the FOMO, so I bought my CryptoPunk <laughs> right after, uh, right, right, after, right after I saw this frenzy like pick up, because I kind of felt I was part of that like I was part of that uh, environment where people thought that NFTs were bearish, uh, and then realized that everyone else is also bullish on NFTs. So I FOMO'd into a punk, and I FOMO'd into a punk Friday morning, and the and the punk mania just absolutely continued for the next like 48, 72 hours. Where if you go, there, there's a Dune, a Dune analytics dashboard for punks that compares all time volume. And just the, the last week of volume is like three times higher than any other candle. There's a, and uh, there's, and then millions and millions of dollars got purchased or got spent on, on uh, crypto punks after Gary V bought the, the ape knitted cap NFT for 2.7 million. Another ape gold chain crypto punk got sold for 5.5 million. Uh, an alien punk got bought yesterday for a thousand ether. A new alien crypto punk got listed available to be sold for 90 million. We'll see if that gets purchased. And then we also saw three arrows capital come in, throw in a bunch of money at crypto punks and art blocks and some other nft projects we saw the floor price which is the lowest price that you can buy a specific nft for for so many different nft projects run up uh, board apes got purchased like art blocks got purchased uh, cool cats got purchased uh, and so there was just a bunch of reallocation rotation into the nft industry and that all happened last weekend and is still kind of happening to this day are you ever going to sell your crypto punk david well, so I realized like right after I bought my CryptoPunks, like, great, I got a CryptoPunk. Now I'm really bullish CryptoPunk. Now I'm going to put it as my avatar. And now I realize that I only have one and I can't ever sell it because 
I, it's, it's my only it's one. Become you? It's become, it's face. like, it's, it's part of me now. And so I can't ever sell my one CryptoPunk. So I bought a relatively expensive CryptoPunk and now I can't ever sell it. So you do expect this to it. appreciate over time, right? In Ether terms, yes. Mm-hmm. In Ether terms. Oh, not absolutely. Not just fiat terms. Absolutely. In Ether terms. In Ether terms, totally. More bullish CryptoPunks than mm-hmm. ETH. Wow. E- ether, e- CryptoPunks are just wrapped Ether. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Uh, wrapped Ether in pixel form is, uh, mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. your take, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, anything else on CryptoPunks? Um, bullish. Bullish. Let's talk about this. More, more NFTs. Mm. Uh, Polygon has become a sponsor of the New York Knicks. That seems super big. What? Um, huh. Wow. New York Knicks Twitter sp- account says- Did I say sponsor? Proud, yeah, you said sponsor. Yeah, proud proud to power the NFT collection. Sorry, they're powering the yeah. NFT mm-hmm. collection. Yes, Close I enough. read sponsor, but yes. So they are powering. So New York Knicks are using- Polygon tech in order to deploy NFTs. That's what this looks like. Absolutely. While we're talking to NFTs, David, uh, tell me about Treeverse. What is that? Yeah, Treeverse, I've heard, I haven't played this myself. This is a new game on Ethereum that is uh, token enabled. Uh, it, uh, I've heard this described as like a RuneScape, a new RuneScape, which I definitely played when I was younger. Uh, and it is a, a token enabled game, played to win Axie Infinity type game. Uh, and uh, while this is kind of in its early stages, just wanted to call attention to this. If you want to explore the play-to-earn games version of Ethereum, side of Ethereum, uh, check out Treeverse. Uh, the Twitter account is the Treeverse. All right, David, let's talk regulatory. Oh, uh, you want to start with go. the infrastructure bill, man? So this infrastructure bill has been just huge. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like there's momentum to pass it. Uh, and the problem with it is there was a provision that got added to the infrastructure bill uh, bill in part of the pay for section that put in some handcuffs, I'll say, um, some just stringent requests, unrealistic requests on crypto, in particular tax reporting of crypto that could extend to individual wallets, maybe wallet providers, uh, maybe uh, um, even exchanges like Uniswap, um, doing things that none of these protocols actually have the capability to report. Like the requirements uh, don't even make sense in the bill. And so there was a huge crypto rally and pushback against this. We had folks from Coin Center, for example, uh, working with, with senators to try to change this information, change this, um, this bill, have it amended. And uh, it looks like there's some progress here. Why don't you, could you update us on what that progress is? Yeah, first off, just to, just to reiterate, it, the, the bill made anybody that ever provided any service to any user of any cryptocurrency, it labeled them as a broker, which means that they had to do reporting on all of their users, which to some degree is really, really hard and not even relevant. And then uh, best case scenario, and then worst case scenario is actually straight up impossible, right? So like that, w- it would make MetaMask defined as a broker, which means MetaMask would have to do reporting requirements. Uh, Jerry Brito, who is at Coin Center, um, he, he tweeted out uh, that they have made improvements into the language. And so they were able to exclude validators, which means like node operators are no longer required to report uh, hardware and, and software uh, wallets are no longer required to report. So that's like Ledger and MetaMask. Um, there's still many more things, many more battles to be had to make this um, uh, legislation make any sense at all, but it's made a step in the right direction. We've had, I've heard some interesting takes about um, just straight up the logistics of this. I don't know if this is the right time to go into that, Ryan, or if we want to keep on going through the news and talk about that later. The other thing about this, David, is it's, it's really nice to see uh, some U.S. senators on our side. So Senator Wyden, Senator Loomis, Senator Toomey, uh, they were part 
of working through this amendment, changing the language, working with CoinCenter to really understand the crypto industry. So we do have some senators that are crypto sympathetic and seem to understand this. And of course, Senator Loomis was um, the individual who in Wyoming had uh, some Dow legislation passed in her home state. So that's cool to see. That said, I mean, this is a great example of the crypto industry kind of rallying and saying, like pushing back against this. I heard tons of people call senators, um, like tweet about this, uh, you know, um, write letters, this sort of thing, write emails, this sort of thing. And I think part and parcel of that, like part of that action was actually why we were able to get this amendment language in place. Um, it was definitely put out there as a, a fire alarm, like everybody in crypto come react to this and make sure that this, this legislation doesn't go forward. And at the end of the day, it seems like it is being resolved. There's still some action that people can take to call their senators. In fact, we have a link in the show notes um, to call your senator to save crypto and make sure that this, uh, this doesn't happen, that this amendment does go through. And I'm curious to hear your perspective on this, David. Do you feel like this is, um, this is a crypto success story or do you feel like at some level this is, um, I don't know, a bit of a, a, a false alarm or like we were overly worried, the crypto industry was overly worried about, you know, language that was going to be changed at some at some stage anyway. And there was, you know, too much regulatory FUD going on. What's your take on this? Yeah. So the, the take that I kind of agree with, but I'm not really highly convicted in this in this belief is that the legislation was so incredibly just nonsensical and like and i feel like you could see this in the markets because the markets did not negatively react to a legislation that could like in theory completely break the industry but the legislation was so bad was so uninformed was so like nonsensical didn't even make sense, even yeah. make sense that like as soon as like uh, regulators would try to enforce this legislation they would realize what absolute like shitstorm they accidentally caused for themselves imagine going to like dan finley at metamask and saying hey dan finley like give us the all of the like reporting tax details of like all like 50 million of your users which you don't collect tax information on by default like it is and that's just one example right like the ledger doesn't know what your addresses are in your ledger like ledger can't report so it can provide you the wallet and therefore in theory it should be a broker and providing that information to regulators but it has no idea so like to some degree, this regulation was so incredibly nonsensical that as soon as any enforcement attempt would come, it would be so easy to defend in court. It would be so easy. Like regulators would just be overwhelmed with what to do. And that's why I think the markets didn't react because the nonsensical nature of this was so incredibly crazy that like it was going to be it impossible didn't... to be enforced anyways. It didn't seem malicious. It just seemed inept. It seemed, you know? it seemed like just, just straight up, like, uh, what's the word? Uh, inept is a great word. Inept is a great word, right? And so to some degree, while like, uh, you know, very, very important efforts were taken to rally the community to get good leg legislation in, and we should always, as an industry, always get good legislation in when we can, it was, I'm, I'm very glad to see that crypto, the crypto community, the crypto industry rose to the occasion and actively participated in governance over a nation state, which impacts our industry. Our, our, our industry is like kind of branded as the, like this anti-state, anti-regulation, anti-government like uh, industry. And like, to be fair, like the crypto world is, is a straight up anti-regular, uh, non, an anti-nation state 
is it really anti? It's a non-nation state technology. So like that's what you get. It's extra. It's extra extra of nation, nation state. state. Right. Yeah. Like non non-biased to the nation state. It just is. And the crypto community, regardless of that branding, showed up to like senators' telephone, showed up to to like where regulation gets done and participated. And so that makes me bullish on the community. When we need to, we will rally and get what we need to done. That being said, was this a not a drill or was this a drill? And it's one of those things where like, if this wasn't a drill, we acted accordingly and we kind of turned it into a nothing burger at the end of the day. I think that's like a take. Yeah, I mean, it's like you have to treat every fire drill as if it's real because right. one of them like will, will be, be real, real. Yeah. right? So you have to react to everyone. And I, I'm really proud of what the crypto community has accomplished, guys. But still, um, we'll have a link in the show notes for fightforyourfuture.org where you can contact your senator. It's like pre-made information. They will uh, help you through the process to make sure this amendment sticks in crypto. But like, I think par part of the reason we're, we're so worried, David, is because it just seems like coming out of US lawmakers, they just don't understand this asset class at all. So this is a headline from uh, Senator Elizabeth headline. Warren. She, uh, she said, crypto markets might need bailout someday uh, without the proper regulation. So she's making the case essentially that, hey, if we don't regulate crypto, Tax, U.S. taxpayers are going to be on the hook the next time crypto wants a bail, bailout. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, no, literally the opposite. You're thinking of banks, right. Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. Banks are the groups that need bailouts. Crypto has never asked, can't even ask right. for a Too bailout. Too proud to ask. The fiat system. I wouldn't well, dare ask regulators for a, for a bailout. Like, but like, how could that work? I, I just... It's just a fundamental mismatch understanding. If this is part of the reason you're 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 saying this is um, a case you're making to support crypto regulation because crypto regulation might need bailouts some days. Like, no, I mean mm -hmm. we've gone through ninety five percent, ninety nine percent price drops. Not asking for a bailout. DeFi right. gets hacked all of the time. No bailouts. Was there a bailout for Mount Gox, David? No. Like, no bailouts are coming. <laughs> we know that everyone in crypto knows that and that is a feature mm -hmm. it is not a bug and That's that is absolutely a, right it's a feature we need inside of our existing financial system this is why we're going crypto is because big banks and plutocrats and oligarchs cannot be build, bailed out that's mm -hmm. why we're doing this so it's like Swing and a miss, man. Totally whiff on the point. Abs and absolutely. Why we're worried. That's why and we're worried. This just like gives you such a great insight into the inner workings of Elizabeth Warren's brain, thinking just like, oh, they might need a bailout. Like that is straight up like like in inner inner circle, just like uh, incumbents paying off regulators. The reason why bailouts happened is because people who are insiders were able to make them happen. Who is literally the not insiders of the world? It's the crypto people. We are the outside. That's why we are here. We are too proud of an industry to ask for regulations. We would never want them in the first place. We are building our protocols to be regulation resistant and bailout unnecessary. Like the whole point. And so like the fact that Elizabeth Warren even would associate like bailouts with crypto just tells you what mindset she's in. She is in an MMT mindset. She's in a nanny state mindset. She thinks that we're going to ask for, 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 for bailouts and therefore we deserve regulation when really we want neither of those things we don't need bailouts we get rug pulled and then we carry on the next day that's what it means to be a crypto person
Like yeah, it, it just absolutely. puts you too much insight into how Elizabeth Warren doesn't understand at all what this the ethos of this industry is, and she's using this whole like, oh, they're gonna ask for a bailout. We now we need to regulate them. I, like, I you know what I you know I also want to lend the hand of like, hey, come learn about this to U.S. senators. Too, I don't trust because, it. Well, other so like, other people, yes, I don't, I don't necessarily trust, trust it. Like I I I don't know, but like I I just want them to know that this open finance thing is not a way to escape. Um, like regulation, like, you know, um, th this brings me to maybe the, the Gary Gensler letter and we should talk about this, yep. uh, you know, for, for a minute, but like, so Gary Gensler put out a, so he's the new sec chair and he put out a new, uh, a, a letter. Um, and I think this was a speech given at the Aspen security forum. And there were some concerning things in here. Um, you know, one of the things he said that, that stuck with me is that, uh, some people in crypto are trying to shirk the the legal system right. and that is the reason why they use crypto like david i don't see very much of that at all like mm. that just we're not trying to shirk the legal system in crypto we're trying to shirk the shitty banking system right. that we have in place like if the banking system was better and if it was if it was digital if it had the features that crypto had like we would be using the banking system right. Right, it's because the banking system failed that this bottom-up movement is happening. That's that's one thing that stuck out for me from this letter. But what what are some of the other things for for you, David? One point that I'll make on that is like one of the reasons why there's this inherent like like tie to to being anti-regulation is that banks, the incumbents, are making the regulations to protect themselves. And yes. so if we want to be yes. anti-regulation, we don't want to be anti-regulation. We want to be anti-banks. We're just frustrated that banks are buying regulations that they want that protect them. And so who do you they think- They turn is, everything into banks. They turn everything That's into they banks. They, they take away our individualism. They take away our self-sovereignty and then they just extort us. That's the natural organic pattern of banks over the centuries. And that's what we want to get away from. And so let's make good crypto regulation happen. This, and this was my last rant on the last weekly rollup is that we, the crypto industry would love fantastic, good, precise, clean regulation. Please provide that. Regulate us in an educated fashion so you can come get your tax money. But if you come and regulate us by saying that any wallet provider or any node is a, is a broker and needs to provide information, you're not going to get any tax money because it's nonsensical and, and you're just going to F it up. And then there's going to be resistance. So we should shake hands. We should rally behind people like Jake Shervinsky and the other lawyers in this space who are informing regulators about how to properly do this so that the regulators can get the tax money from this industry that they want to pay for the infrastructure bill. Just do it right rather than come in heavy handed. I think the mistake that that this uh, tax bill uh, made was thinking that like the crypto people are just like this corner of the internet. They don't care about society. They don't care about government. And we'll just tax them just because we can and we'll bully them. Like, oh no, wrong. Crypto people are some of the most and like politically engaged people on this planet because people think that this is a money a revolution in money and finance, and it totally is. But this is also a political revolution. These are all political people in this industry. Social revolution. We are fighting for hearts and minds here. And I think the big question with this Gary Gensler letter is like he's the new SEC chair taking over from uh, Jay, Jay Clayton. The question is, is he crypto friendly or not? So there's some takes around the crypto universe on the back of this letter. Like you mentioned. Uh, uh, Gary Gensler mentioned that he agrees with the previous SEC chair that most ICOs 
he said in the letter, are probably securities, right? So that was one uh, point that stuck out. There are a few other points here, but here's a take from uh, Nick Carter. Somebody asked him, like, what's your explanation? Like, how do you, th what, what, what do you think of this letter? And he said, it's not clear that the SEC can actually fulfill its agenda given current resources, but at minimum, a crackdown on exchanges both onshore and offshore might be coming. This is sort okay. of what he took from um, Gary Gensler's letter. Um, he also said Gary Gensler, it seemed, was expressing a need for additional legislation. So it could be the case that the SEC actually doesn't have the power or authority to do some of the things that, that um, Gary Gensler is suggesting. Um, but there were some more upbeat takes here, David. And so this is a, a take from uh, a you know crypto Twitter lawyer, Preston Byrne. What did, what did Preston think about this? Yeah, and this uh, I've heard this sentiment echoed by other lawyers as well, is that Preston said that Gensler's speech today was straight down the middle and entirely consistent with what more conservative legal advice in this space has been for years. This guy at the top 100% understands crypto. We knew that. And, I, and, and Preston finishes saying, I think this is actually bullish for prospects like the Bitcoin ETF. And so if you were, what he's saying is that there has been generally like more conservative legal advice in this space. And if you were following that legal advice, then Gary Gensler is not doing anything unexpected for you. Uh, and so like no erratic ICOs, like, you know, know your customers, don't sell the U.S. investors, sadly. Um, and But then I think the take here is that Gary Gensler, he's going to be a stickler. He's going to be strict. He's going to be a bit of a hard ass. And he's going to let this industry progress forward at the same time, which fine, we'll t I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, it's definitely not the worst it could be for sure. Uh, this is a headline in, in Bloomberg saying, Gensler signals pathway for Bitcoin ETF with tough rules. This is from partially from his speech. And uh, I think the, the key clip here is um, this. Gensler is hinting that he'd like to see a filing. This is an ETF filing. All of the previous ETF filings have been denied for a Bitcoin ETF. But he's hinting he'd like to see a filing that seeks approval through a 1940s law that governs mutual funds. Most of the pending applications have been filed under a 1930s law. <laughs> Back to your point about like being a stickler, right? Mm -hmm. like, it's like, hey, if you fill out the right forms and you do it the right way, then I'll give it to you. But you have to do it the right way, right? This is maybe the signal that he's sending uh, to crypto. In addition to the signal of like, I want more legislation in this space. Unless he gets the legislation, I'm not sure how much more the SEC is going to be able to do. Right. And I think uh, another very telling comment towards the bottom of this article is he says, we don't have enough investor protection in crypto, Gary Gensler said. It's more like the Wild West. And this definitely shows you the difference in mindset and disposition of people in crypto because He's saying this, it's more like the Wild West, as if it's a bad thing. And Ryan, you finish off every single Bankless episode is, <laughs> we are west. heading west, it's not for everyone, but we are glad you are with us on the Bankless journey. And so kind of, yes, we don't have enough investor protection in crypto. To sometime, Sometimes to some people, when you say the words investor protection, we hear incumbent protection, not yes. investor Thank protection. You. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, and we like the Wild West. It's fun out here. There's 10,000 X gains and rug pulls. Who knows what comes next? But we're know, here for it because we're self-sovereign and we're individuals in control of our own money. It is the Wild West, but we do have an investor protection that they don't see. They, they think investor protection means like, like regulatory action and new legal codes, right? right. Like 
Investor protection is an open source, transparent financial system where you can view source into every asset. You can see exactly what's inside of it. That's investor protection, right? So yeah, it's the wild west, but you know what? I'll take that over the closed like financial system where I have no idea how the money is, is moving, right? Like this is all open. This is transparent. That is our investor protection. I wish they would acknowledge that more mm. in some of these statements, you know, Senator Warren and even Gary Gensler is like, take some of the good, like that is coming out of the system. We've built a more transparent financial system from the ground up and regulators again, should be falling over themselves in support of a system like this. It's going to make their jobs easier. You know what the best investor, investor protections are? Is, is, is financial services built by code where no one is allowed to break the rules. And so that code is enforced equally, transparently across everyone. And so there's no ad, the whole point about Ethereum is that no one is the admin. Everyone is a user. Everyone is treated equally. Everyone can audit the code. That is the best investor protections that money can buy. It's code protecting, like investor protections is a human to human thing where like, oh, there's like privileged information. Somebody has somebody like big wealthy whale has privileged information, entices a lot of retail people and then and then rug pulls them and takes all their money. In code, if we can enforce that against that, and I've never been rug pulled. I've stuck to the, the major DeFi apps like Compound, Maker and, and Aave. I've never been rug pulled. Code has protected me from rug pulls and also my own due diligence. Uh, and so to some degree, like there's going to be the same tricks in every single financial market and we need to avoid scammers and fraudsters and all that. But the lack of appreciation for the fact that code is protecting all of us uh, is frustrating. And But I also understand that's a complicated subject. Yeah, I agree. All right, so that's what the, the take the US is, is taking right now. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, some vitriol against crypto, maybe some support, kind of um, wishy-washy, definitely not a policy towards crypto yet. Um, but China definitely has a policy to crypto. And that's I want crypto out of here. We want yeah. crypto outside of our borders. They've been putting pressure on miners, on exchanges. We've talked about that in, in the past. Um, and they say the PBOC, that's the People's uh, Bank of China, is saying it's going to continue to keep high pressure on crypto trading. David, I just want to highlight our podcast that's coming out on Monday. It's already available if you are a Bankless Premium member. You can listen to this podcast now. We recorded it last week. This is uh, with a gentleman by the name of Richard Turin who wrote a book called Cashless, all about what China is doing, their plans for digital currency, a digital currency revolution, as he calls it in China. And something that's interesting that I learned from this book and from the podcast is that China's digital currency strategy is explicitly a deterrent against cryptocurrency, okay? They don't want capital flight. They don't want uh, a free money system that is outside of the PBOC's control inside of their borders. So in addition to pushing it out, they're actually trying to build a controlled, centralized crypto alternative. This is the uh, China central the bank digital currency, essentially. It's explicitly part of their strategy. Instead of like, not replacing it with, um, you know, they're replacing all of the crypto stuff with something that looks a little bit like crypto. It's digital in the same way, but it's completely controlled and centralized. That's their approach. And it's a pretty smart approach. If you are a, you know, centralized, a, you know, authoritarian kind of power and uh, you want to go down this route. So anyway, eye-opening podcast, fantastic podcast. I think we need to learn about China's approach because 
it's going to uh, make waves in terms of what the U.S. does next as well. And it's going to be pretty important to the world. Yeah, I, I can't recommend this podcast enough. It opened my eyes to what really the true story is behind the China uh, Chinese central bank digital currency. And if you thought the last section made you like question a regulator's competency about how to approach DeFi, listening to this will make you question it even more because yes, of how... <laughs> of China's how all over it. China's all over the central bank digital currency. The, recently, the, there was a, uh, I can't remember what it was. Smart but contracts, dude. Yeah, they have smart contracts coming. And meanwhile, like not too long ago, there was like a uh, US banking regulations panel that talked, that was headlined cryptocurrencies. What are they even good for? Meanwhile, China saw crypto and applied it to the central bank digital currency and is releasing one of the most powerful forces that this world has ever seen in decades as in the east and then meanwhile in the west people are questioning if if crypto is even useful is and it then, just a fad and then just is allocating like terrible fad? regulation to it when yeah. they when they have I forced know, themselves funny. into a corner where their only option is to leverage DeFi in com to combat chinese banks digital currency i need to stop or else i'm gonna explode well look man this is what happens when your average senator is 65 years old Right, this is exactly what happens. Nice, nice. Um, nice. All right, let's move on, David. So yeah, we got to burn through these. Yep. All right, Wealthfront is offering Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. That is a robo lender. Wealthfront, a lot of people use. Pretty cool to see them doing that. It's a continuation of the story. Also, Germany institutions, they are allowed to hold, um, I think, up to 20 million in crypto now. So Germany is coming down the pike with some crypto-friendly regulation legislation it's kind of cool you want to get this last one david yeah uh, R richard uh no excuse me ricardo spagni the one of the original uh, members of monero uh not the og monero person because that's a very interesting story uh was actually arrested for things unrelated to crypto uh, apparently defrauded a company in south africa and was extradited to south africa so basically he's considered basically the founder of monero even though that's technically inaccurate got arrested for unrelated to crypto reasons, which is an interesting side quest of a story. Look, there are still some shady people in crypto. Definitely right. have to acknowledge that um, for the regulators listening in here. <laughs> okay, guys, we're going to get to the takes in just a minute. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Balancer is a powerful platform for flexible automated market makers. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indices, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect the fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we use a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool using Balancer's asset managers. Balancer's vault architecture lets you trade between Balancer pools at a fraction of the cost versus trading on other platforms. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the balancer pools at app.balancer.fi. 
Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, and we are back into the ecosystem takes that have come out in the last week. This one comes from Eric Connor, who has a bunch of screenshots from a different uh, Bitcoin maxis. And he says, the Bitcoin community has gotten so pathetic that they have act actively begged regulators to classify ETH as a security. This has been going on for, for years. And then he has some examples. And so he has some examples of, you know, some of the most like maximalists of the max Bitcoin maxi camp. Uh, Samson Mao from Blockstream, Neil Jacobs, um, uh, Pierce, uh, Pierce, I can't remember his last name. Um, talking all about how Ether is a security uh, and making jokes about how Ether is a security and then asking Gary Gensler to classify ETH as a security. And I want, I want the listeners to, and here's why I feel so passionate about this. I want the listeners to think about the SEC is supposed to protect, uh, protect uh, individuals, investor protections. Who is protected if Ether gets classified as a security? Or is if Ether gets uh, classified as a security, is this just Bitcoin maximalists being really happy that the second largest, biggest threat to Bitcoin is being classified as a security. Like, who is it? Are they? Do they care about investor protections, or are they trying to like you know cope with the fact that Ethereum is extremely successful? Uh, and so, I really just want shame on Bitcoin maxis who are trying to protect their own bags by begging Gary Gensler to classify Ether as a security when they should be talking, focusing on themselves, focusing on their own merits, focusing on their own blockchain, rather than looking over the fence and being jealous about all the cool things happening on Ethereum. And they get jealous about it. And so they beg Gary Gensler to classify ETH as a security because they're insecure about their bags. That's my take about Eric's take about the Bitcoin maxi takes. Yeah, and ultimately, like I, I, I would just say, like it doesn't really matter what they think, right? They, it's they don't get it's this. It's embarrassing. Side. This the CFTC um, chair also pushed pushed back in general, and this is partially in response to I think Gary Gensler's comments about um, certain ICOs being securities, and he said, hey, like many cryptos are actually commodities. And um, the SEC has no jurisdiction over the things that are commodities. Bitcoin is a commodity. CFTC has said as much. So is Ether. The CFTC has, has said as much. So I'm not even sure why this is a conversation. Like maybe you could have this conversation in, in certainly 2015, 2016, maybe 2017. Right. But like this conversation has already been over. had, over. right? Like it's over, it's done. Uh, the CFTC. Um, you know, it, are the are the regulators for Ether the asset and Bitcoin maximalists don't get to decide. So it just seems like a bunch of cope. And I, 
I don't know, man. We massive cope, massive cope. This I don't is understand. A, Samson Mao is is the guy behind uh, Liquid, which is basically trying to be the Ethereum version of Bitcoin as a side chain, which is already just compromised on the values. But like Bitcoiners are known for being the the uh, the. Uh, crypt, the cypherpunks who are very anti-regulation, extre- like extremely nation-state. They're one of the anti-nation state. There's one of the reasons why this whole entire industry has that branding in the first place, even though I don't agree with it. Yet they are begging the nation-state to protect their incumbent investments by classifying ETH as a security. To me, it's no different than the bankers having like regulation against like uh, the same against our industry trying to protect them. The Bitcoin maxis are just trying to do it for their own purposes. It's just embarrassing. It's a compromise on their values, compromise on their ethos, and it's just a bad look for the space. Yeah, I agree. Ultimately, it won't amount to anything. Yep. Uh, but I agree, it's a bad look. Uh, David, let's let's take Jeff Dorman's take. So, what's his take away from everything that's mm-hmm. going on? So, all of the news he said his internal Slack is blowing up with tons of positive information about crypto, but also negative information about crypto. What's his takeaway, David? Yeah, Gary, uh, Jeff Dorman, we had him on to talk about uh, Coinbase when Coinbase went public. That was a fantastic episode. His takeaway is that it doesn't matter. Positive, negative news. Every single news outlet and investor in the world is now talking about digital assets every single day. And he finishes this up with betting against growth from here would be insane. And so this is why I've been saying like, Regulation, it's finally here and it's bullish. It doesn't matter what it is. Good regulation, bad regulation. We prefer good regulation. It's bullish either way just because the attention is on the space. They're not ignoring crypto any longer. They are forced to reckon with it. And Mm -hmm. that is bullish for the space for sure. Um, Let's do this take. It's kind of a regulatory take, I suppose. But this is from Joseph Young. Binance futures trading, not allowed in Germany and Italy, is one of the biggest advertisements for DeFi this year. I could not agree more. That Binance squeeze we've been talking about, where Binance has to delist assets, uh, is not available in certain countries. That's just pointing the world to DeFi. This is why we need DeFi. We need something that is outside of the borders of a nation state that doesn't have a geographic jurisdiction or a geographic location that's just public freely available to anyone with an internet connection, huge advertisement for DeFi. And this also largely impacts Binance Smart Chain just as well, because the only on-ramp to Binance Smart Chain is through Binance. And so if Binance gets restricted, Binance Smart Chain gets restricted, which is why we were always harping on Binance Smart Chain in the first place, because it's just a masquerading as decentralized, even though it's actually not. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Let's see this next take. This is from Tasha. She has a whole thread about this. I just thought it was a fantastic thread. Um, And the crux of it is this. Maybe I'll read the first tweet or so. The US is in big trouble with twin deficits and high debt. We know that. But few realize that Fed-issued digital currency USD token can change the fate of America. How? She says, grab a coffee and read on. Do not have time to read the entire thread. But she makes the case that actually the biggest export from the US is not technology export. It's not a manufacturing export. It's not like military arms dealing. You know what the biggest export is, David? The dollar. The US dollar. That's what the US is exporting to the world right now. That's Everybody wants the US dollar, right? Now, that's not necessarily a long-term product. So Tasha says, we might have like 15 to 20 years or so left to go on the US dollars reserve currency status. But she said, we, the US should use that uh, while, while, it, while it can essentially and create a central bank digital currency of some 
some sort, support crypto in some way and export this to the world to stay ahead. If they don't, per our previous conversation, man, China will, and they're in it to win it. The US has this asset, why not use it? Uh, they absolutely should. I thought it's a brilliant take. We'll include that thread in the uh, in the show notes here. The TLDR is that the American empire has its interests and it can use crypto to leverage those interests rather than fighting it. And if it does choose to fight it, it's just going to hasten its own demise. Absolutely. Um, all right, David. Oh, this, this is a good is, one. Yeah, I thought this was, look, so we've been talking about EIP 1559. By the way, David, how, how, how much have we burnt since the, <laughs> the start of this recording? Well, you're looking that up. I think EIP 1559, I said this, uh, is the ultimate jujitsu move for Ethereum. Why? Oh God, dude. Because in order to copy it, competitors have to get the one thing they've never had, and that is actual block space demand, David. So you can't copy and paste this EIP 1559 feature. Like, sure, you can start burning some of your transaction fees, but you have to have transaction fees to burn in order for it to be meaningful. Now, you're about to tell me the, the number of ETH that were that has been burnt since the beginning of this episode. How much is it? Yes. Uh, I'm going to say it was 200. It was 880 since when since we last talked, I believe. How much How much do you think is that now? We're, I th Okay, so I, I said 200. 950. How okay, about that? So gas prices have jumped significantly since then. Gas prices are currently at 277, so something's going on. Yikes. Whoa. We, and the, the most recent block that just got mined burned five ether. We are at 15, <laughs> what? 1,500 ether. We are at 1,500 ether. For, what for, happened? For the last few, I don't know, something's going on. Something's going you on. check the price. A dude. NFT, uh, yeah, holy shit. Like, <laughs> is it up or down? I have no clue. But yeah, uh, for the last like, 10, 20, all the, all the blocks that I can see right now have burned more ether than issued. That's insane. That's insane. I don't know what's going on, but bullish, bullish. Okay, I mean, and, and here's the thing that's it's impossible. It's not the price, price is stable. The it's thing stable. that's impossible to emulate, and the reason why this is a jujitsu move for Ethereum versus all ETH killers, other competitors, is Ethereum's biggest strength, blocks-based demand. Right. People will pay to get a transaction mm -hmm. in, and they've been building this for the last five or six years. It's already flipped a Bitcoin by far on that count. Um, like no other chain is even close in terms of transaction volume, right? Like in terms of block space uh, revenue or demand. Um, Ethereum is the only chain that can essentially pull off EIP right. 1559 and use yeah. it and pump it into right. its uh, its assets. So, dude, game set match. Right. I Please. mean, like you got to work hard and get that block space demand. That's how you compete against uh, Ethereum if you want to do that. Yeah, the, the Avalanche community has always been teasing Ethereum about how they implemented EIP-1559 on Avalanche like nine months ago. And in the first three hours of EIP-1559 going live on Ethereum, ETH, more Ether was burned than in all of nine months of Avalanche's EIP-1559 being live, right? And so like, cool, you guys got it first, but like when as it takes two seconds for us to catch up with you once it goes live. And that's the this power of block space demand. You, you got to put the hard work in, and the hard work is block space demand. Uh, so get there. Let, let's see this last take from Hasu. David, why don't you read it out? Yeah, Hasu says, success is a muscle. Every important upgrade that Ethereum has successfully merged, the beacon chain, now EIP-1559, increases the chance that future important upgrades, the merge, sharding, block proposer slash builder separation, will also be successful. Another way of framing it, ETH prices in a ton of execution risk. I know because I was that was a big part of my own thesis. Every milestone makes that execution risk go down. This is what we have been saying on Bankless forever. If you're cool with execution risk, buy ETH early. But every time we successfully hard fork, that execution risk goes down, 
right? And so you should plan for that accordingly in your valuation of Ether. And honestly, at this point, with the, the beacon chain behind us and EIP-1559 behind us, two very complicated updates in the rear view mirror, the last major update is the merge. And like maybe sharding, but like not that major and very distant off into the future. Like how much execution risk is left before people FOMO? And maybe that's why people have been definitely FOMOing into Ether right after EIP-1559 went live and Ether went from 26 to 2800 in just a, uh, an hour or so. Success is a muscle. Ethereum is proven out that it executes upon its roadmap, maybe late, but it does execute. And so betting against Ethereum at this point is just completely irrational. Again, in, my, in my opinion. In my there opinion. you go. Got nothing to add. David, what's exciting this week for you? <laughs> EIP <laughs> 1559, sir. Uh, I, I would like to go back two years and say, like, there was a, there was a time where EIP 1559 got introduced. A few people like latched onto it. You, me, Anthony Cezano, Air Connor, who introduced it, DC Investor, a few others. They all saw the power in this. We all like wrote articles. We made podcasts. We tweeted about it. We tried to do our best to shout from the rooftops, like, this is coming. And now it's finally here, which makes me feel really good, uh, is in one important step forward to Ether as ultra sound money. And what really excites me that's specific and nuanced other than just saying EIP-1559 is here, is that EIP-1559 has so much metric surface area. There are so many new metrics that have come alive now that EIP-1559 is here. ETH burn rate, the base fee, the tip amounts, like uh, the block, uh, the the how full the block is. There's so many things and numbers and variables to talk about. And honestly, like what gives more people more confidence in in an unknown asset are like numbers and metrics to like consume and analyze and discuss. Yep. And not only that, it gives new people confidence. It gives older people like us more things to talk about. This is what I said earlier. There's so many more metrics that we get to talk about on the weekly roll-up. So like we're going to go back and like talk about how much ETH has burned. It's probably going to be part of the, the uh, every single week. Since we last talked about how much ETH was burned, we're burned 70 more ETH. So that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> and so all of these metrics are legitimizing in of themselves, even though we literally invented them out of thin air. Like we just, the industry invented this thing called crypto economics. Ethereum invented this thing called EIP-1559. Now we've invented this metric called ETH burn rate. And now because we get to talk about it, it's legitimizing. It's cool. People get to I, talk look, about it. I can't, I can't wait to read all about it in Goldman Sachs' next white right. paper on why you should invest in ETH. Mm -hmm. We're gonna see burn metrics right. in these in these like analyst papers now. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Yeah, Ryan, I think I have a guess what you're excited about. Why don't you tell me? Yeah, look, man, it's got to be EIP fifteen five nine. Oh, really? EIP fifteen five nine roll up, and I'm just gonna riff on what you said. I feel like, um, you know, coming off of the the 2017 uh, 2018 crash, right? Um, like everyone, I think a lot of people recognized that the Ethereum network was amazing. And there was this whole mantra of Ethereum, not ETH. Right. Like Ethereum, the network is amazing. ETH, the asset, who cares? That thing sucks. Means Buy Bitcoin instead. It's just a means to an end. And like some of us felt like that was uh, a massive mistake, Bunch right? Baloney. Like a Like it didn't even make sense. Doesn't make economic sense. If okay. you are striving to become um, a, the, uh, a strong, highly secure economic network, you need the price of ETH to reflect that as well. That's where you get your economic security. And so we pushed back against that. Um, I think there was this concept, David, you remember of economic abstraction, right? right? The idea that we don't even need ETH to even pay for miners. Right. Why is it even there? It can collapse to basically zero and no one would care. We can use stablecoin or maybe Bitcoin to pay miners. 
we pushed against that. Well, now we no longer have economic abstraction. Like I think we've never had it in reality, but the protocol has in, enshrined, you know, what's the uh, opposite of, uh, you know, abstraction, like concreteness. Yeah. Now I have economic concreteness of ETH asset. I don't think that protocol. means going to stick. I don't think it's going to stick either, but like, <laughs> that's what we have. Right. And this is, um, this is really exciting because I think there's been a renewed emphasis at the protocol level on ETH the asset that uh, we've been pushing for since uh, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. Now it's here. It's being baked into the protocol and it's just super exciting to see. And like, this is why it's important is because the end game, we want to build a bankless open financial system for everyone. Uh, and in order to do that, we need high security, right? We need uh, the economic bandwidth to support all of the world's assets, all of the world's transactions. And uh, man, that chink in the armor that ETH had, where it had a great network, didn't have a great asset, completely right. like equalizing here. Right. Now you got, the, you got the yin and the yang. You got a great network. You also have a fantastic asset and people are starting to realize that. And I think they'll realize it more as those metrics are gonna be displayed everywhere. And we're gonna keep refreshing those burn pages to see how much ETH we're going to burge. And then, it's onward towards the merge. That's the next live stream we're doing, David. Um, in the live stream this morning, last question for you. Uh, did you hear the dates? What are like the anticipated dates for the ETH2 uh, merge and the end of proof of work? What do you think that's going to be? Yeah, Justin Drake, who's uh, famous for giving out dates a little bit ahead of consensus, said Q1 2022, which is the date I've been giving out more or less. Uh, if we hit it in Q1 2022, that would be actually... well the first uh, <laughs> hard fork that we actually got on schedule. For some reason, maybe I'm naive. I actually believe in it. Um, so Q1, 2022. All right. You know, I thought uh, we had a good shot of hitting July uh, for EIP 1559. And that was like some early estimates, like right. two months off. So still pretty close, right? And I think this is going to be, if it's not Q1, 2022, it's got to be Q2, right? right? It's going to yep. be really close to Q1 anyway. Just like Kazu said, success is a muscle. And now our core developers are getting better and better and better at hitting hard fork deadlines. Yeah, totally. We got Even though there's not, there's not a deadline, but like not delaying too much. David, let's talk meme of the week, man. What is the meme of the week? I'm going to share my screen. This is one from Robert Leshner and some of the DeFi builders, some of the crypto native builders. All right. So Robert Leshner randomly tweets out, who is in crypto in New York City right this second and wearing blue? Wearing blue? I need you for a mission. And then later, Hayden Adams tweets out this photo, how it started, and then new photo, how's it going? And so the first photo is that that weird meme going around of Bill Murray plus three other actors, kind of just like all awkwardly standing weirdly plus with interesting <laughs> outfits. And there's this one lady in this like very, very vibrant, fiery blue suit, uh, looked like an absolute rock star. And then like everyone kind of has their own deal going on. Nothing really makes there's any sense. There's definitely a feeling on this. There's definitely a vibe going on. There's definitely a vibe. Every, if there looks like there's four vibes going on for every four <laughs> actors. And then, uh, and then Robert uh, and, uh, excuse me, Hayden Adams tweeted Tweet this tweets this out. We got from from uh, left to right. We got Hayden Adams. We got Kane from Synthetics. We got Jameis Johnson from Pleaser Dow, and, and then we got Robert Leshner on the right. And they are just recreating the meme, which is hilarious because th this is a decentralized industry. Kane is from uh, Australia. Hayden is from New York. Robert Leshner, I'm pretty sure, is from San Francisco. Uh, and they they all made they all made it happen. And then interestingly. Uh, 
Kane was the only person that had a white-haired CryptoPunk before this image, but for some reason, they all decided to buy white-haired CryptoPunks and put it as their avatar. And so now this is the white-haired CryptoPunks moment. The other cool, interesting, like, little bit, little Easter egg in this photo is that Bill Murray, for some reason, is wearing two watches. And so is Robert Leshner, the person that's Bill Murray's correlate. Yeah. There you go. Robert Leshner got two watches on. It was just, I think this was just a fun little moment. Uh, when, when uh, Robert Leshner tweets out, who's in New York City wearing blue right this moment? We get Jameis Johnson showing up looking like an absolute G in a blue suit. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, guys. This has been the weekly roll-up special edition EIP 1559. As always, none of this was financial advice. ETH is risky. Crypto is risky. All of DeFi is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. And yes, we like it. West. <laughs> we're, we're okay with heading west. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Bankless Journey. See you later.